0: stations. Services are running at five-minute intervals. And between Guano and Polam stations, trains are running at 10-minute intervals. You're listening to the news on RTHK
1: Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. The HKMA says it's keeping a close eye on Standard Chartered on money laundering and terrorist financing controls. Stan Chard agrees to pay almost 2.4 billion Hong Kong dollars to U.S. regulators for suspicious transactions. Apple stock hits an all-time high, about $100 uh, per share. And Uber taps former Obama strategist David Plouffe.
2: Uber is running a political campaign. And the candidate is Uber. And we are lucky enough, I'm lucky enough, to have just partnered with the best campaign manager in the world.
1: That's Uber CEO Travis Kalanick. We'll hear from Mr. Pluff and a bit more from Mr. Kalanick in a few moments. Stocks higher overnight globally. Investors seem to like the latest U.S.
3: housing data. Housing starts up big today to almost 1.1 million annual rate. It's all good this morning with housing starts up 157 percent in july from a very soggy wet june
1: the always effervescent chris rumpke at mitsubishi ufj more from him in just a moment also in the news earnings are rolling in thick and fast the bank of china's profit weakens as bad loan provisions rise and galaxy beats estimates and says it will hire 8,000 more people. We're always doing stories about earnings up and job cuts. Well, Galaxy is hiring. Our Chris Oliver will be along to look at gaming shares in Macau with us at 845. Guests include noted economist Arthur Laffer on the challenges facing central banks. Mark Matthews of Julius Baer will be along for some market coverage. And so too will be Standard Charter's Erwin Samp. We'll ask Mr. Samp if China will ease off the credit binge or stoke it further to try to continue to drum up growth. So Asian markets uh, are mixed at the moment. The Nikkei is higher, but Australia is a little bit lower and Seoul in the midst of uh, about a half a percent rally this morning. Uh, Wall Street stocks uh, did close in on record highs. Global concerns appeared to have eased a bit. Investors seem optimistic that central banks will continue to keep the punch bowl in play
4: because of the financial crisis and the very slow recovery from it and the excess of leverage in the global um, economy, that once central banks begin to normalize interest rates, they're going to be raising rates at a slow pace and will ultimately get to a policy rate that's well below what we saw in prior uh, rate hike cycles.
1: That's Richard Clarida from PIMCO talking about his firm's new neutral formula. Our view about the new
4: neutral, uh, is that it's a nominal policy rate that's much closer to 2%, uh, than the, than the old rule of thumb of a, no, a neutral policy rate of 4%. So 2% inflation plus some adjustment for a real rate of, of
1: return. Bets are pretty high that the Federal Reserve will leave interest rates near zero for longer. The S&P 500 gained half a percent to 1981 in overnight trading. The Nasdaq up uh, 0.4 percent. That is the fifth straight day of gains, by the way, for the Nasdaq. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 80 points at 16,919. As we mentioned, Apple hit $100 for the first time since its seven-for-one split. Back in June, the stock up 1.4 percent at $100.53. Economic data was pretty positive. Home building
3: rebounding in July. Housing starts up big today to almost 1.1 million annual rate. The Fed is concerned. They are always concerned, aren't they? Bernanke, Yellen, and now a new vice chairman, Fisher. The Fed is concerned that higher bond yields and so higher mortgage yields will put the housing recovery in jeopardy. We guess they have not taken a look at the latest readings on home builder confidence that are sky high. Anyway, it's all good this morning with housing starts up 15.7% in July from a very soggy, wet June to 1.093 million at an annual rate. Good enough to call it a recovery.
1: Anything over a million usually gets economists pretty excited. That's Chris Rupke there at Mitsubishi UFJ. Well, this is Money for Nothing. The time is now eight minutes after eight o'clock. The cost of living rose at a slower pace uh, in the previous month, CPI up 0.1% after rising 0.3% in June. And we go back to Mr. Clarida. In terms of jobs and wages, of course, everybody looking forward to Janet Yellen and her speech at Jackson Hole this week. People will be very interested in what she has to say. But Mr. Clarida says in terms of jobs and wages, workers will soon get their day in the sun.
4: There's also a very pronounced business cycle regularity that imp- in past business cycles, labor share indeed initially declines as the recovery begins. And then, and then it comes about, back. But then about three years into it, you get a U-turn. And in every prior recovery, my chart mm-hmm. goes back 35 years. But if you go back to the 60s and 70s at the same thing, you get a rebound in labor share. It's what some folks call the late cycle
1: recovery. That's Richard Clarida from PIMCO with Tom Keen on Bloomberg. In some other news, Standard Chartered has been fined 300 million U.S. dollars by New York's banking regulator. The authorities said that the bank had failed to detect or act on a large number of potentially high-risk transactions, transactions mostly originating from Hong Kong and from the United Arab Emirates. The BBC's Michelle Fleury reports.
0: This is the second penalty that Standard Charters has paid to the New York Department of Financial Services. Both are related to trade with countries blacklisted by the United States. The British Bank said it was working to fix these problems with the utmost urgency. As part of a settlement in 2012, an independent monitor was appointed to watch over its international dealings. That surveillance uncovered failings to identify risky transactions that could be part of money laundering.
1: The Hong Kong Monetary Authority says it has been closely monitoring anti-money laundering and counter financing of terrorism controls, particularly at Standard Chartered Bank. But it says that uh, it, it although it has identified some areas for improvement, it says that the areas don't cause significant supervisory concerns that in an email to Bloomberg earlier this morning. Let's take a look at currencies uh, here in early Asian trading. The dollar-yen is now 102.94, so that's the dollar pretty sharply higher against the yen. And uh, that seems to be leading to a little bit of a rally. You mentioned the Nikkei up 33 points. The euro is now $1.33. The pound is trading at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 88 cents. First guest, Mark Matthews, head of research for Asia at Bank Julius Baer. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, it's always good to have you on the program. We like our strategists here. Uh, what are you strategizing over this morning?
5: Well, uh, what am I strategizing over? I, I guess, uh, I, you know, what I'm strategizing over is the idea that markets are focusing less on geopolitical events than they were in July. Uh, and now we seem to be coming back to a focus on the economy, a focus on earnings. And I think that um, as the European uh, economies. Um, you know, flatline and they will flatline for the foreseeable future because the, uh, the trillion euro lending package from the ECB won't be able to kick in until October. Um, I think there's a shift of interest into the emerging markets um, because a lot of people have put money into Europe expecting it to really shine around now. It's just not doing that. And China is starting to shine. So that's what I'm thinking about this morning.
1: Yes, so the flows into Hong Kong have been rather dramatic. The HKMA has had to intervene a dozen times to keep the currency from strengthening further. A lot of that money seems to be finding its way, I guess, into Hong Kong and China shares. Uh, So you support that move and you would be buying um, you would be buying China stocks and also Hong Kong shares
5: yeah absolutely the Hang Seng uh, you know the Hang Seng is one of the few indices here in Asia that you can go right back into the early 70s so I'm looking at a chart of the Hang Seng right now to go back to 1974 and uh, we're on about ten and a half times today and the average is about 14 and a half times. So it's uh, at least one standard deviation below its uh, long-term average. Uh, technically, the index looks good. If you like looking at charts, there's something the technical analysts call a triangle or a pennant formation, which has occurred in the Hang Seng Index. And if you can imagine what a triangle looks like or a pennant flag, you know, you've got the two lines getting closer and closer to the tip. And so the index was very volatile uh but you know, kind of narrowing in toward the tip as the lines get closer, and it's broken out of the uh, upper line. You know, so basically, I I like uh, I like China a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I like that formation. Uh, uh, the one thing is, though, that you remember the last time that we spiked here in Hong Kong was on belief that this through train was going to be um, nirvana for investors uh, both there and here. And so we've got this also driving a lot of funds now, the uh, upcoming Hong Kong Shanghai Connect in October. Lots of funds have flowed in here. Do we risk the danger of disappointment, though, because those quotas are fairly small and maybe it doesn't have such a big impact?
5: No, I mean, I, frankly, I would say the fruit chain for me is is exaggerated. I, I don't think it's such a big deal. Uh, that doesn't matter. The Hang Seng can go up anyway. The very big difference between now and what you're referring to back in 2007 is back in 2007, the Shanghai Composite had already gone up, you know, I don't know how much, like a lot. It was trading on over 30 times earnings. Yeah. Today, it's on uh, like six and a half times earnings. So, you know, if the Shanghai composite goes up, which I believe it will, that that natural force uh, will propel uh, the Hang Seng
1: index higher. So a lot of people would be thinking, hmm, do I pick individual shares or I just go with the various ETFs and the trackers uh, to ride this um, this uplift in in the whole market? Uh, what would your strategy be?
5: I mean, I I think that I I don't really like trading because I'm not good at it and and I know very few people who are. So I'm not making a trading based recommendation on China. I'd be making a a two year recommendation on China. And I tell people two years from now, I think China could be twice as high as it is now. I think it could be 100 percent higher. Um, And that's based on the fact that it's very, very cheap and the fact that um, there's probably going to be some good earnings growth in between now and then to support um, to support its rising um you know there are good individual uh, stocks in in the hong kong market um i can think of plenty hong kong bank aia but those are just good fundamental uh stories that you'd want to earn uh for the long term anyway it's sort of uh regardless of this
1: China story. So one of the things we're going to talk with Erwin Sanf about in a few minutes uh, is debt in China. This is obviously a one area that's held back investors a lot and why China has underperformed uh, since it fell sharply in 07 and why we've underperformed too. Now, we, in the news this morning, we see Bank of China... Uh, more than doubled its money set aside for bad loans, so it had its earnings out. The earnings were not too bad, but people focusing on this uh, you know extra bad loan provisions. Uh, does the debt story worry you in china
5: no, doesn 't as a matter of fact i 'm delighted we have the debt story because it 's the reason why the market 's so cheap. you know there were all these uh, articles uh, flying around uh, starting around i guess uh, the fourth quarter of last year and it continued really up until around may or june about china approaching its minsky moment they they love to use this word minsky moment they're Mm. quoting this famous economist Minsky. basically when when the game is up and the credit stops flowing and 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 there's you know collapse and panic and and uh everybody who said there was going to be a minsky moment thought it would happen around now because the uh maturation of trust products really uh, we 're at the heart of it now uh, that this is when it 's all happening and, and yet clearly you know we haven 't had the uh, the bankruptcies and delinquencies that um, we should be having so so there 's something amiss uh, you know it 's obvious if you go to YouTube or, or you go just yourself to China. the anecdotal evidence is there uh, to show misallocation of capital, but uh, it 's such a big place um, you know that that I think that uh, you know, where you can point to Eiffel towers and empty apartment buildings, there's there, that is just a tiny percent of the inventory out there. And most of the inventory, in my opinion, uh, both in terms of infrastructure and property, is uh, is necessary and being efficiently owned, uh, used by by people who really want to use it. They're not speculators. They're yeah. they're using it. You know, so, so no, I mean, I, I, I'm not worried about uh, the debt situation in China. I'm happy it exists because it's the reason why the market is as cheap as it is.
1: Okay, Mark, thanks very much for your pearls of wisdom this morning. Mark hey Matthews. You, Mark Matthews, head of research for Asia at uh, Bank Julius Baer. And a refreshing uh, comment saying that, uh, although he's a strategist, he's not good at trading. So he just invests for the long term. <laughs> We have Arthur Laffer, the eminent economist, coming up in a few minutes. And Erwin Samp, head of China and Hong Kong equity strategy at Standard Chartered Bank. But I wanted to uh, tell you a little bit more about news. Uber Technologies has hired former Obama strategist David Plouffe. The car booking company says it needs help with regulatory hurdles and opposition from cab drivers all around the world. We're in cities around the world. We need to get
2: this, the, the positive story of Uber out there. You know, there's an incumbent candidate, right? Uh, The taxi cartel is in every city that we're in and they're resisting the progress that we're
1: bringing to cities. That is the CEO, Travis Kalanick. Mr. Pluff will start with the company in September and lead policy and political activities as well as branding and communications.
3: I was a customer of Uber, a strong believer in the company. Uh,
1: and Travis and I really had a great mind melt. He's built an amazing company here with great people, uh, with a great mission. Uh, and the opportunity to be involved with something like this, uh, you know, it could be a once-in-a-generation experience. He is a believer, you might say, he is definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. And I believe passionately about the mission, providing a transportation alternative should not
2: be controversial. Uh, you know, saving lives, cutting down on drunk and distracted driving, creating jobs, uh, you know, helping parents and workers and businesses, uh, you know, move around
1: the
3: city uh, and live their lives in a more productive way. And I think ultimately this kind of progress, this kind of change, uh, it's hard to stand in the way of. You know, people are going to put up a fight and we're going to be prepared uh, to make sure that we're fighting for that transportation alternative that Uber represents.
1: Uber has been fighting opponents in the taxi industry and also in governments worldwide. Uber is disrupting the transportation business with its technology. It's the app that lets people hail rides using smartphones. They simply bypass taxis. Okay, we've got a little bit of a complicated fo- uh, formula here. We've got Arthur Laffer, the economist who worked for Ronald Reagan, uh, coming up in just a moment. Wanted to get a couple of quick words from Erwin Samp from Standard Chartered. Uh, Irwin, good morning. Yeah, good morning. So the cooling property market in China has um, rejigged a few fears uh, among people about uh, debt weighing in heavily in China. Just get a couple of words from you before we, uh, before we bring in uh, Dr. Laffer, um, you know, Mark Matthews said it sort of helps us climb a wall of worry. It's not a big concern. Where are you?
6: Well, this year, the, since April, the government has made a lot of effort to stabilize the economy. Uh, put a floor under the property market. It seems like those efforts are still, you know, encountering some problems. So I'd say in the coming three months, we're still looking for more uh, credit easing efforts. And I think the latest news on that front is uh, proposed changes to the commercial banking law, which will effectively just allow uh,
1: the banks to lend out more money into the economy. The credit number that was released a week ago was rather shockingly low. I mean, people expecting one and a half trillion renminbi and you get, you know, 200 and change. Um, is, is that a positive sign in your view or does it indicate um, that the economy is slowing and people are starting to run scared? Well, it showed that uh, credit demand remains very weak, but
6: the PBOC uh, went to great lengths following the release to basically highlight that the policy policy easing measures are going to continue. So they didn't want that to scare the market. It didn't scare the market, and uh, since then we've seen equities
1: go higher. Okay, if uh, you don't mind, Erwin, uh, since we have Arthur Laffer with us, we'd like to bring him in. Uh, if you can hang on, we'll talk to uh, Dr. Laffer for a few minutes, and uh, then we'll talk to you again around about the bottom of the hour when we get to uh, to news. And so we say good morning to Arthur Laffer from Laffer Associates. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Great. Yeah, it's really fun to have you on the program. It's lovely to we, be here. We love to get the big names. Uh, you were a presidential advisor to uh, none other than Ronald Reagan. Uh, best known for helping trigger a worldwide tax-cutting movement back in the 90s and also advising Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your outlook f- at the moment uh, because we have got Jackson Hole and the central bankers uh, meeting this week and the speech from Janet Yellen. Uh, how does the backdrop feel to you at the moment? Well,
7: I think the backdrop looks great for me. I mean, I don't think it's up to Yellen, to be honest with you. Okay. I think the politics in the United States is changing in November. I think the Republicans will take the Senate, uh, they'll keep the House, and I think you'll see a major political move towards tax cuts, broadening the tax, becoming more like Hong Kong. How about just putting it that way?
1: You know, I was thinking, you coming to Hong Kong, you it's know, wonderful, this, this must it? be just a fish in water. I, mean, I, I came to God's land. It's just <laughs>
7: absolutely spectacular. Two taxes, can you believe it? And but, you know, 15 thing, and 17 percent, and that's it.
1: The New York Times has a story on the front page this morning uh, talking about um, how the effective tax rate in the United States is not nearly as high as as um, people would think and that nominal rates are way up there at 35 percent but uh, but companies are not paying that um, you know that much they're actually finding ways to get around it well the same thing in the opposite direction is kind of true here there are other taxes that companies pay that are actually make it seem a little higher than what the nominal rate is so is there really that much of a need for an adjustment
7: oh yes there is you know what they're talking about is the taxes collected by government rather than the taxes paid by the companies. Uh, I did a paper about two years ago in the Wall Street Journal that was summarized. And, you know, for every dollar of taxes a person pays in the U.S., income taxes, corporate and personal, they pay an additional 32 cents out of pocket for just the filing, auditing, all of those things, tax return lawyers, accountants, all that stuff. So the amount that companies pay is a lot more than the government collects. And, of course, if you lower that tax rate, And you broaden the tax base, it becomes much more equal. The the amount the company pays is pretty much what the government collects because there's no need to hire lawyers, accountants, deferred income specialists, all the other sort of favor grabbers that you find in the U.S. that you don't find in Hong Kong.
1: One of the things you hear from people, from individuals, is that it's damn difficult to save money. That people feel as though um, even if they make, say, $200,000 a year, it's very hard to save money. And they often cite that you not only have federal income taxes, but you've got state income taxes, you've got state sales taxes, and a variety of other ways that the government uh, gets its hand into your pocket. Of course, the Obama administration, you know, completely rejects that argument.
7: I know. I moved from California to Nashville, Tennessee, specifically because there's no income tax in Tennessee. There are nine states with no earned income tax i bought my house in nashville with my first year's tax savings on state and local income taxes alone i mean i had to put up pictures of beaches and play beach boy music and salt spray in the air to get the california flavor there but uh, honestly it's 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 a lot of differences among states i I just came out with my book, The Wealth of States, which really compares, looks at all these states over the last 70 years, 50 states. It's just incredible how movement occurs towards low tax rate states from high tax rate states. The exodus from California is huge, and the ingress into Nashville, into Tennessee is phenomenal, Texas, Florida the other zero income tax states.
1: Okay, so we could talk more about taxes. Um, obviously, with the biggest military in the world and the uh, most expensive military, I mean, <laughs> there is a need for government revenue. Uh, you never hear people mention that when they say, um, you know, when companies say that, yes. you know, they're looking at tax inversions or, you know, individuals saying, I would like to avoid tax. Uh, you do have to pay the man.
7: Yeah. But let me just say this, Brian, if I may, the US has the single highest corporate income tax rate in the world. Number one, And we have the fourth lowest revenues as a share of our GDP in the world. You know, sometimes when you have very, very high tax rates, you don't collect the money. My guess is if we cut the corporate income tax rate in half in the United States, the amount of revenue we would collect would go way, way up, not down. So I agree with you. We need the money. But we're not getting it by overtaxing people. And it's so true in so many areas.
1: Yeah, you're well known for the Laffer curve, which, as I understand it, uh, you acknowledge that you didn't actually create it. But uh, the (laughs) idea being that if you have 0% tax and 100% tax, you're going to get zero. And so somewhere in between, there is an optimum. Um, What do you think that optimum is?
7: Well, I think in the U.S., somewhere maybe around uh, 20 30% would be a great tax rate. Now, we dropped it under Reagan to 28 percent. The max tax on income was 28 percent. We cut it from 14 brackets to two brackets. If we did that type of tax there, bringing the corporate tax way way down as well, I I think we'd be very close to the optimal tax.
1: So you're kind of associated with that trickle down uh, concept. (laughs) Um, Are we seeing trickle down from QE? Uh, I don't think so. I, I
7: think they're making a huge mistake. When you lower interest rates, everyone argues that will really increase the demand for mortgages. And I understand that, but it also reduces the supply of mortgages. When who on their right mind would lend money for 30 years at three and a half, four percent 4%? I mean, it's crazy. No one will do that. So we are really have a huge shortage of mortgage capital available. For home buyers,
1: but for guys like you, I always want to ask this question. It's perfect because you're here. Um, you, would you actually raise interest rates? Yes, in this of course. So you'd not only do away with QE, but you would raise interest rates li- in an economy that is stumbling along, oh, it's no. muddling through. Yes. If that, yes, uh, you, because you want to set the correct rate that matches supply and demand. When you but force rate isn't correct. I mean, it doesn't exist, you know, on its own. It's it's for a time. Well, and right now, the time is that there's no business activity. The money is in the mattresses. Yeah, the money's in Janet Yellen's
7: pocket. She's mm-hmm. buying all of these things and forcing rates way below where they should be and thereby stifling all the mortgages that could come available for people who want to buy homes, but they just not available. Those people who can borrow are not the ones who need the money.
1: So you're sort of forever young guy. I mean, do you get hit (laughs) by a lot of savers, uh, particularly people, you know, in the retirement phase um, who lament the fact they get nothing in the bank? Well, of course. I mean, that's terrible.
7: I mean, you look at what the returns are in their savings. It's very low. You wonder why people don't save. I mean, who wants to save at these types of rates? I mean, they're negative real rates. I mean, they really are. And plus, they do have a tax attached to them.
1: Okay, so let's put your economist hat on and explain a couple of things, so we okay. get a little bit away from the politics. Uh- You know, with the economy doing what it's doing right now, um, you have stocks surging. You have a something of a rebound in the housing market, and yet you have treasury yields plummeting. You see the yield on the ten-year down around two point four. It popped up a little bit in this latest session, but it had been almost on a one-way street down since the first of January. Why?
7: Well, I think stocks are not. Stocks don't reflect what has been. Fox stocks reflect what will be they they are really the market's perception of the future not the past and so therefore I think the stock market in the U.S. is really reflecting the political changes that are going to start occurring at the end of November of this year and going on into the future sorry I had to get back to politics a little bit but you know politics drives it all you don't have any politics here in Hong Kong
1: but we have a lot in the U.S. and it's Trust me, we have Oh, you do? Of, okay, well. You're arriving in, at a very key time in our political... Well, you know,
7: in the U.S., it's all politics every day, all day long. And, you know, people are expecting a big change. And to me, all of this reminds, Brian, of, to really of 1978. You know, I've been to this barbecue before. And I remember with Jimmy Carter when Reagan was coming on the scene and the optimism started to pour through the U.S. And I think we're in a period of long-term economic growth for the U.S. But it has to go through the political
1: cycle. You're an interesting fellow in that, you know, we know from your politics that uh, you obviously favor the Republicans and you're on that side. But you've stated publicly that you voted for Bill Clinton twice. And Kennedy.
7: I'm not a a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a lefty. I'm not a righty. You're a libertarian. No, I'm not a libertarian either. I believe in economics. You know, economics is all about incentives. If you tax people who work and you pay people who don't work. Do I need to say the next sentence to you? You're going to get a lot of people not working. If you tax rich people and give the money to poor people, you're going to get lots and lots of poor people and no rich people.
1: Okay, I have to ask you about tobacco briefly. i give you 30 sure. seconds. Why are you here?
7: Well, I'm here with PMI, and uh, I just finished my book on tobacco taxation, theory and practice. And, uh, you know, it's one of the most fascinating fields for me, to be honest with you, because tobacco is taxed in every country, all sorts of changes. It's just replete with interesting uh, anecdotes, episodes, facts. I mean, it's a hugely interesting subject. And by the way, politically, it's also very important. I'm very hostile to smoking personally. My mom died of lung cancer. Mm -hmm. I used to smoke, I don't anymore. And you know, what you really wanna make sure happens is that the government does tax policy on tobacco correctly so they achieve the objectives we really wanna achieve, getting people off smoking and keeping the revenues flowing into the treasury.
1: Okay, Dr. Laffer, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Brian, my pleasure. It's really fun. Have a great time, yes.
7: I've got a face, by the way, for radio,
1: just so you know. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Okay, the time is 8.30, the news shortly. Uh, We'll just briefly tell you about the weather because it's uh, inclement, uh, mainly cloudy with showers, a few squally thunderstorms expected. Maximum temperature today, 30, so not quite as hot as it could be. Humidity up to 95%. The news is next. K32, the news with Samantha Butler.
0: Police in the U.S. state of Missouri have shot dead a young black man in a confrontation over a robbery. It comes amid continued protests over the fatal shooting of an unarmed black teenager, Michael Brown. Radio Australia's Jane Cowan is in Ferguson in Missouri. It's incredibly bad timing for a police force already being accused of heavy-handed tactics. The man was allegedly robbing a convenience store in St. Louis, about seven kilometres from the centre of the protests over Michael Brown's death. St. Louis Police Chief Sam Dotson says the man dared police to shoot him and two officers fired when he lunged with a knife.
2: I think you have the right to defend yourself and protect yourself. So I think it certainly is reasonable that an officer has an expectation to go home at the end of the night.
0: It's unclear how many shots were fired. One witness described the incident as suicide by cop. Israel and Palestinian militants have resumed hostilities hours before a ceasefire was due to expire. Palestinian medical sources said a two-year-old child and a woman were killed during an Israeli airstrike on Gaza City. The BBC's Kevin Connolly is in Jerusalem
8: sirens warning of impending rocket attacks have sounded in many towns and cities across southern and central Israel, as far away from Gaza as Tel Aviv, which lies 75 kilometres to the north. The prospects for rebuilding any kind of peace process now depend on the intensity with which the fighting resumes and how long it lasts. Egypt's first attempts to bridge the huge gulf that exists between Israel and the Palestinians on the future of Gaza appear for now to have failed.
0: The MTR Corporation says services on the Joan Guano line have returned to normal as of 7.40 this morning. Earlier it said there was a signalling fault near Polam station, resulting in delays. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Good morning, it's 8.33. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis in the second half hour of the program. Some of the stories that we've been looking at this morning, the HKMA says it's keeping a close eye on Standard Chartered, on money laundering and terrorist financing controls, although it says it doesn't see any severe problems. StanChart did agree to pay about 2.4 billion Hong Kong dollars to U.S. regulators for what were called suspicious transactions. Markets were buoyant overnight. Apple stock hit an all-time high of $100.00. And Uber has hired former Obama strategist David Pluff. Here at home, Asia's richest man, Lee Ka-shing, says that Hong Kong must move forward on democratic reform and not come to a standstill. Cecil Wong has the story.
8: The tycoon weighed in on the divisive issue, telling reporters that Hong Kong should take a step forward despite the wide difference in opinions on electoral reform. Mr. Lee also released a statement later, saying that progress towards democracy is the foundation to fortify the rule of law in Hong Kong, and added that every effort for democracy will not be a vain struggle as progress will arc towards broadening participation. He indicated that progress should be made even if the ultimate reform package doesn't please everyone. The statement said... Should we fail to pin down the perfect synthesis between ideals and practicalities, we must still move forward together as a bundle of opposing forces. But he didn't have an answer for reporters when asked whether Hong Kong people deserve a genuine choice in future chief executive elections. The Hong Kong Holdings chairman did not comment on the planned Occupy Central movement in which pro-democracy activists are planning to mobilize thousands of people to take over the streets of Central to push for genuinely democratic elections. But he has previously spoken out against the campaign.
1: Cecil Wong reporting. Our guest this half hour will be Erwin Samph, head of China and Hong Kong equity at Standard Chartered Bank and also Wilson Chow, who's the managing director of Nong Ping 360, looking at some of their efforts to attract tourists. The chief secretary Terry is doing her bit to foster a spirit of compromise on political reform. So say supporters. Carrie Lam has hailed just concluded talks between Beijing's top official and pan democratic lawmakers. They've been talking about the 2017 election and she calls it a good start. She says the meetings have set the stage for more friendly exchanges in the future. And those could start as early as tomorrow when at least 49 lawmakers, 15 of them pan Democrats attend a reform seminar in Shenzhen with senior mainland officials. The Labour Party's Fernando Zheng was among the last group of pan-democratic lawmakers that met with the liaison office, Chief Zhang Xiaoming. Our hugh Chiverton asked him about the main sticking points in the talks.
9: Well, there are three main concepts that we are really miles apart. Uh, first is the uh, love country, love Hong Kong, or patriotism as um, uh, to whether uh, how people or p- potential candidates can be defined as uh patriotic patriotic and the other uh, is the um balanced participation uh the nomination committee is supposed to reflect the general views of the public and uh, reflect uh, balanced participation from all sectors uh and this is how they interpret election committee used to be, but we think that this is entirely out of balance, uh, that it is uh, really biased for the commercial interests and against the uh, people who are uh, of low income, people who are of um, minorities and vulnerable groups. And um, thirdly, uh, they think that uh, this uh, democracy or um, that the national security has to do with uh, controlling how people could be, could stand for the uh, chief executive's position. And we think that national security would be enhanced if we have true democracy and genuine universal
6: suffrage. Uh, and do you think there's any common ground in those areas, those three areas you mentioned?
9: We are really miles apart, um, Uh, They take on a very conservative uh, view, and we think that we can only protect the country and enhance our development through an open society. But um, they want to really have complete control of uh, this executive
1: position. Fernando Jung from the Labor Party speaking earlier this morning on Radio three. Let's get a market update. The Nikkei's up thirty points at fifteen thousand four hundred eighty. The Australian market, the ASX two hundred, is down three points at fifty six fourteen, while in Seoul, the KOSPI has moved up a couple of points. Gold is trading at twelve hundred ninety five dollars ten cents, so gold down in the last twenty four hours, and oil prices down as well. Brent crude, one oh one fifty eight a barrel. Uh, rejoining us here on the program, Irwin Samp from Stan. Erwin, uh, nice to uh, have you with us. Thanks for being patient. Uh, it's quite interesting listening to Arthur Laver there. Um, I hope you th- enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, conditions here because that was more focused on the United States. Um, oil prices being down as much as they are, is that likely to be helpful uh, for, for people living in Asia?
6: Yeah, I think the oil price did surprise uh, people with its strength in the first half, but there seems to be plenty of supply of oil around despite all the uh, uh, goings on in the Middle East and uh, Ukraine.
1: So it's almost like, if you think about it, uh, it's almost like interest rates going down. It it does take some cost out of our daily lives. Uh, So that's one good thing. Um, What about interest rates? Um, People are fearing that they're going to move higher. What do you think about that? Well, well, I think as we were discussing before,
6: they keep moving lower, and that's helping propel the local stock index to new highs, and yesterday we hit the highest level in five years. Uh, Now, our our view is that uh, U.S. rates will be rising in the first half next year, so we recently uh, downgraded – our view on uh, Hong Kong property and the Hong Kong
1: banking sector after being overweight in the first half of the year. So so do you you think that falling 10-year bond yields and falling yields generally is helping power the Hong Kong stock market? And the Hong Kong property market. We've seen uh, data
6: uh, suggesting prices are now above the highs of last year. So there's been quite a uh, sharp rebound
1: in the property market as well. What I'm curious about is how could the Fed start raising interest rates if you continue to see downward pressure on bond yields?
6: Well, I think the bond yields reflect um, you know noises coming out of the Fed around uh, what their policy is going to be, and you know there 's this view that even with the end of q e uh, there 's still going to be a very loose monetary policy, so I guess you know yields will start rising when there 's a view that maybe the, the fed isn 't going to take such a uh, easy stance uh,
1: next year, yeah. Well, we've had a lot of earnings to chew over here as well, and that also moves markets uh, quite a bit. Uh, some earnings that we mentioned already, Bank of China with uh, you know, raising bad loan provisions. Uh, but the earnings overall, I guess, have been pretty good. Is that how you've interpreted it?
6: Yeah, I think the earnings season, given we had a very tough first uh, four or five months to the year in terms of stock market performance and a lot of worry about what earnings would look like, I think earnings season does remind us that uh, for China equities, earnings are very stable. There's a lot of uh, regulated state-owned businesses, so we don't tend to have big uh, swings in market earnings. Uh, But that Probably brings us on to uh, SOE reform, which is being viewed as a very positive catalyst uh, in the stock market at the moment, and you know we 've been banging the drum on donkey sectors or you know, old economy sectors this year, but we 're starting to temper that enthusiasm a bit because uh, SOE reform, you know, if you think about it in the medium term, is uh, bad for SOEs. So <laughs> having SOE share prices uh, r- running up 30% on news that they're shuffling assets, you know, there's a bit of uh, maybe over exuberance uh, creeping into the market now.
1: So you mentioned the earnings uh, with the mainland companies. Uh, what about Hong Kong earnings? Yeah, Hong Kong's been okay. Uh, the, there hasn't been as much boost from
6: revaluation gains and other things that we saw last year. Uh, generally, you know, the traditional Hong Kong universe of companies have delivered uh, very stable earnings, and their businesses outside a lot of these companies run businesses uh, outside
1: of Asia, which uh, seem to be doing quite well. Yeah, um, for companies here that are truly global, um, does the somewhat weak global economy um, really weigh them down and do you see any turn in the global outlook
6: there was you know a week into last year and a, a weak first quarter uh, for global growth but things have improved a lot in the second quarter uh, so generally uh, companies with uh, businesses overseas ha- have reported earnings which uh, you know, may have market may have been
1: expecting some disappointments but the earnings have turned out to be okay the fact that we actually saw a slight contraction in our own growth uh, quarter on quarter, uh, in other words, sequentially uh, here, uh, does that uh, you think that changes then uh, as we go through the, um, the second half of the year? Or do we do we still have this weakness with us in Hong Kong? Well, I think there's a uh, – Because you know, a lot yeah, of people yeah. saw those headlines on Saturday morning in the paper and would be thinking it anyway. How can stock and property markets be so buoyant if the economy is you know, moving down? Mm.
6: So China's economy, we're expecting uh, improvement there in the fourth quarter this year. So that's going to help uh, lift uh, the local economy here. And then this these fund flows, although it doesn't have an immediate impact, but this scale of fund inflow into the financial service and industry and other sectors here should also be lifting the local economy.
1: By fourth quarter. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, one of my guests uh, said that uh, last week and then yesterday another guest said hogwash, it won't happen. Uh, the quota is too small. Um, but the point being that um, the Hong Kong Shanghai Connect uh, and the fact that it is attracting fund flows in here, that, that could actually lift the economy. It will induce what? Demand? well i was talking more about the
6: uh, reallocation of money to hong kong and china equities uh, as a decision made by global asset allocators i think the th- through train or- that's, big, that's
1: bigger yeah. than just the through yeah
6: yeah the connect programs although it may be small in quota size, but it gives some direction towards further capital account opening. And I think the market's taking a very rosy view that once this program's up and running, they will expand the quota size. If that happens, yeah, we can be bullish. Obviously, the current quota is quite limited. The
1: Hang Seng Index broke through 25,000. It is now um, you know, at a multi-year high. Some, that would make some people nervous. Others would say it's breaking out to the upside. Uh, you are in the latter camp.
6: Yeah, for for now, I I think it's been a a long time between drinks. uh, People who've had money invested in equities in Europe, uh, Japan, U.S., uh, India, ASEAN have been enjoying this uh, these types of gains for s- several years now, and here in Hong Kong, we, uh, along with perhaps in Asia, the Korean market as well, were left behind. So it's a strange feeling uh, having the market in you know such uh, bullish territory, but yeah, uh, the guilty. drivers are there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, you feel almost guilty. Um, uh, what about? Um, do you worry that some people would uh, take a lot of money on margin then to try to um, take advantage of this?
6: Yeah, now we are going to see, uh, I think, in the coming months, rotation into small caps. Uh, That that would seem to be uh, the next phase. And those small cap volatility being higher uh, and also the Connect program, mainland monies are going to tend to focus on small caps as well. So, you know, whether it's, you know, margin financing people, trading derivatives, uh, rotating into small caps, I think, yeah, the, the risk taking behavior will definitely pick up in the coming months.
1: Okay. what's your best choices at the moment?
6: Well, we did uh, upgrade the small mid-caps two weeks ago to uh, overweight, so the large caps are moving at the moment, but we do recommend uh, people look into smaller companies uh, within each sector. Uh, Companies which we like would include uh, SITC, which is uh, a privately owned shipping company growing very quickly in China, Uh, uh, MINTH, which is a Auto Parts Company, um, Sony Optical, which does uh, handset components. These are all um, companies with very good businesses trading at pretty low valuations. And I think one of the guests earlier alluded to uh, things that can double. And certainly if you get into the small caps at this point, we, we do believe
1: a lot of them can double in share price. Okay, Erwin, uh, good segue into my next little tidbit, uh, which you can stay and listen to. But I'll thank you right now for joining us here as we move thank on. Erwin Samp, head of China and Hong Kong equity at Standard Chartered Bank. And uh, this is Money for Nothing. The time is now about uh, 13 minutes before 8 o'clock. Well, here's a fun lie-see kind of story. Hong Kong listed sunglasses company Arts Optical surged 60% in trading yesterday. After selling its factory site in Shenzhen, the shares gained $1.51 to $4.01. The company sold the site to a subsidiary of property developer Kaisa for the equivalent of two and a quarter billion Hong Kong dollars. The factories are in an area earmarked for urban renewal. Now, you might remember that Arts Optical was one of investor David Webb's Christmas picks. He picked it back in 2002, when the share price was $1.87. According to the annual report in 2013 of Arts Optical, Mr. Webb, or a company he controls, owns about 30.77 million shares, or 8% of the company. So, Mr. Webb had a paper gain yesterday of more than $46 million yesterday alone. And by the way, since 2002, the shares have fluctuated between $2 and $4 with yesterday's close. Of 401, an all time high. Okay, market update. The Nikkei up 30 points, a fifth of a percent. Otherwise, markets are pretty close to the start line for the day. We're joined in our studios now by Chris Oliver, the producer of Money for Nothing. And Chris has been taking a look at gaming shares. We mentioned earlier that Galaxy
2: had its earnings out and was hiring 6,000 workers. Chris. Good morning, Brian. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about Macau casinos recently because they are one sector that's expected to benefit when the stock through train comes into effect in uh, October. Uh, Casino stocks sold off recently amid concerns of China's slowing economy. The driver of that drop was Macau's gross revenue from gambling figures, which showed a decline in July and June. The drop wasn't much, but it was enough to kindle fears that Macau's casino boom is coming to an end. The question is whether this is a soft patch or something worse. On the surface, China's anti-corruption crackdown is one factor that gamblers are staying away from casinos. We also know that uh, eyeballs that were glued to the World Cup has uh, kept, has kept uh, a lot of gamblers away and may have diverted some of the betting as well. But there's another idea which explains the drop uh, in Macau. And the, the fortune of Macau's casinos is closely linked to liquidity conditions in China. Until recently, those conditions have been fairly tight. Uh, we can see that through softening home prices. Uh, one other factor was that the China's currency began to weaken sharply at the beginning of the year. However, as you heard earlier with uh, Erwin Sanft, um, many analysts now think that a credit easing cycle is underway in China. So that should mean brighter days ahead for the casino.
1: However, you've got something of a credit tightening cycle with the end of, um, of the uh, quantitative easing programs in the United States. Does that offset the possible gains from credit easing?
2: Well, that's certainly been on the minds of analysts at Reorient. Uh, they've pegged that the wind down of QE uh, effectively means a drop in global liquidity conditions. And certainly the Macau boom has coincided with uh, the rise of global liquidity. So it's going to be hit by that. We don't know how bad. I think there's most analysts believe that there's some impact we've seen. Uh, reduction in growth figures for Macau uh, gambling revenue over the next year or two by most of the big brokerages, but it 's clearly not an end of the end of story. Uh, they still believe that there 'll be moderate gains uh, and I think you can see that in the Galaxy Entertainment Group yesterday, which announced second quarter revenue was up fifteen percent on year to three point five billion That was slightly better than analyst estimates. And and I said
1: 6,000, but they're actually adding 8,000 workers.
2: Yeah. At the end of the year, they're going to start their uh, recruitment drive for 8,000 workers. That's to staff the second phase of its Galaxy Macau Resort that's on the Kotai Strip.
1: Okay, Chris. Thanks very much. Eight minutes now before nine o'clock. We continue with our news coverage and in a few short minutes, we'll be bringing in Wilson Chow from Nongping 360. Well, this time yesterday morning, we were reporting that a five-day ceasefire in Gaza was being extended for an extra 24 hours. That was to allow further talks between Israeli and Palestinian negotiators. Now, though, Israeli airstrikes have resumed and it's forcing thousands of Palestinians to once again flee their homes in Gaza for UN shelters. Israel says, Says its bombardment is in response to new rocket attacks coming from Hamas. But the Palestinian militant group rejects that version of events. This is what the Israeli government spokesman Mark Regev had to say. Today's rocket attack on the Israeli city of Beersheba is a
6: grave and direct violation of the ceasefire that Hamas committed to. This is the 11th ceasefire that Hamas has either rejected or violated. And it's clear. That a ceasefire has to be a
1: two-way street. It's not just that Israel hold its fire. Hamas must hold its fire too. Israeli spokesman Mark Regev. The Israeli prime minister has instructed his negotiating team to leave truce talks in Cairo. Hamas's representative in Egypt, Ezad al-Rishk, said that the chances of any agreement on a durable ceasefire were now weak.
6: The situation is still difficult, and there's no agreement up until this moment between the two parties. The Israeli delegation has received the answer from the Palestinian delegation and is flying it over to the Israeli cabinet. The chances are very weak, and I'm saying that the situation is tough, and practically there are no more negotiation sessions today.
1: Again, one of our top stories here in Hong Kong, the tycoon Lee Ka-shing says that Hong Kong needs to overcome a divide over election of its leader in 2017. This as activist groups have been taking to the streets and threatening to paralyze the city's financial district. Mr. Lee told reporters that the city should move forward on reforms. In an English statement later, Mr. Lee said that efforts toward democracy would lead toward widening participation and will not be in vain. Well, cable car operator Nongping 360 has introduced two new attractions to its tourist village that it's hoping will prove to be a hit with visitors. To find out more, we're joined by Wilson Shaw, who is the managing director of Nongping 360. Mr. Xiao, good morning. Good morning. So tell us about these uh, new attractions uh, and why it will be successful in attracting more tourists.
10: Well, in fact time for the uh, movie industry and our tourism industry to cooperate and offer something uh, for the tourists visiting Hong Kong. Um, Well, today, roughly 80 to 85% of our visitors are tourists from overseas. So, um, well, like us, when we visit overseas, we want to see something, um, what they have. If we go to Europe, we expect something Europe. So when a tourist coming to Hong Kong, they expect something Hong Kong. So we think Hong Kong movie is uh, some kind of appeal that will help us to attract um, more tourists visiting the Lantau Island and, of course, our Ngong Ping village.
1: So you've got this Stage 360 and Motion 360. Um, What do they actually do?
10: Well, the the Motion uh, 360 is, in fact, uh, a 5D uh, theater. Well, the technology is not new, but what we are trying to do is to... um, Well, it's, it's not those... Uh, traditional those 3, 3D type of movie that you can see in cin- cinema. It is, uh, the content is basically Lantau. We want people to, to see what we have on the Lantau Island. That's about the greenery, the scenery. Uh, the Stage 360, what we're now doing is um, having some men from the Hong Kong movie industry to perform on stage, showing the uh, traditional um, episode from different Hong Kong movies, putting it on stage. Basically, it's kung fu today, yeah, because kung fu is, is uh, more popular, you know, among the world. When people talk about Hong Kong movie.
1: Yeah, so for most of the tourists that are visiting you, I would imagine that um, they are predominantly from the mainland. Uh, but do you have any percentages on locals versus mainlanders uh, who um, you know who use the Ngong Ping Three Hundred and Sixty and also uh, these new areas?
10: Well, surprisingly, uh, we're looking at our our guest mix. Uh, close to 50, I would say, uh, the latest number is 46% are from Western countries and Southeast Asia. So only one third of our visitors are from the mainland of China. The remaining 15 to 20% is from local. That, that's our guess mix. So we, our visitors are not uh, dominant by the mainland tourists.
1: I would imagine that you're, you know, just um, living in wait and uh, hoping for the opening of the bridge, the zhuhai Macau Bridge, and that that will bring a lot more people in.
10: Yes, that will. We believe with that bridge, that provides a western corridor uh, to the Hong Kong airport, uh, turning the Pearl River Delta into one uh, tourist destination. Because today you cannot uh, travel clockwise or anti-clockwise direction going around the entire PRD. Opel River Delta.
1: Yeah. On the practical level, uh, we get such bad weather here, um, just terrible heavy rain and winds, and oftentimes the Nongping 360 has to close. Will, will the facilities that we've been talking about here at the outset, will they still be open um, when we have extreme weather? Uh,
10: the two facilities are actually indoor um, well, cinema set up. Well, the number of visitors will be affected. I think that that's something we have to live with as an outdoor uh, tourist attraction. Uh, but yes, during heavy rain, it will still be open.
1: And the um, other interesting aspect uh, regarding you personally is that you're leaving. Um, who's going to be responsible for the project and uh, what what is their background uh, in management of something like Nongping 360?
10: Well, in fact, my successor is uh, Ms. Kwan, Ms. Stella Kwan. She is uh, the head of commerce and marketing of Nongping 360. Uh, she... Has been well on the project for over a year, so she has very good experience, and she also joined 360 uh, about two and a half years ago, so she knows the company very well.
1: Are you overall bullish on on tourism as a driver in the Hong Kong economy?
10: Uh, how, how do you mean?
1: uh the <laughs> yeah i mean I, it, tourism is an industry for us it's a pretty big one uh you know and we've seen fewer numbers here of late because uh fewer mainlanders are coming and uh reports are indicate that they're also spending a bit less uh, but is tourism alive and well in hong kong uh
10: i think with the bridge well let, let's don't talk about that too long there's two years uh on the road uh, the Hong Kong tourism, I think we uh, basically are talking about shopping and dining. Uh, overseas tourists perceive Hong Kong as uh, a metropolitan city, and uh, but we are not a theme park. I mean, Mt. 360 is not a theme park. We are leveraging on the uh, greenies, greeneries, and the sceneries on the island, and um, we have done survey in the, in the past years. It seems a lot of uh, tourists when they they only learn that Hong Kong has such facilities or such kind of greenery or scenery after they arrive here. So uh, we are now trying to work closely with the Hong Kong Tourism Board, offering varieties.
1: So variety
10: is is something that we are working on. All right.
1: we got to go. Coming up to the news at nine. But thanks very much, um, Wilson Shao, there, the managing director of Nongping 360. Briefly, in the weather, mainly cloudy with showers, squally thunderstorms expected. Uh, maximum temperature thirty degrees. Humidity around about ninety five percent. We'll see you tomorrow.